quite a challenge um, in, in many ways for all of us. We've come face to face with um, a new way of life that we weren't expecting. For some, it's been harder than others. For some, we've, we've actually, for some, maybe there's been more space and more time, um, time that we may have spent with the Lord. And what, uh, that's wonderful if we've managed to do that. Um, for some, it's been hectic, busy, and just trying to balance life has been a, a real difficulty and challenge. But I don't know about you, but sometimes the more time that I have, the greater intention I have to spend with the Lord, but doesn't necessarily always happen. But that COVID season where things were stressful and difficult, and um, did we pull into the Lord and seek him? Or did we try and do things in our own strength? And maybe if you're anything like me, there was a, a combination of the two, depending on the time. But as we come out of this time and restrictions are easing next week, and as we seek to get back to a new life, a new normal, or whatever that may mean, what is going to help us come out of this time? What is going to help us live our life, our identity as children of God, on the mission of God? What is it that's going to help us do that the most? And I confess that on reflection, I've spent some time reflecting about this, about what the COVID period has done for my walk with the Lord, what I want to see coming out of this COVID period. And I confess that sometimes I've been trying to do mission, which is intentionally going to the lost with the gospel, that I've been doing it in my own strength at times. That actually I've been trying to love others, a command that we clearly have and we see here in chapter 20 where we, where we get um, the, the Ten Commandments are given. Commandments 5 to 10 are all about how we are to make sure we're outward looking and loving others and our relationship with other people. That's relationship number two. And I confess, I think I've been doing it in my own strength at times, more often than not. But I think what we see here in chapter 20, when it talks about, and, and Kenny talks about this, Ben, if you don't mind moving on to the, the scroll bit, um, we see that the first four commandments are, are all about God. They're all about him, about not worshipping other things other than the one true God, about resting in him, taking a Sabbath and resting in him, about not worshipping other things. And and. I think that the, the reason is, is because it's all about our relationship, number one, our relationship with God, that is then going to help us live out the other commandments, which are focused towards loving others. You see, Jesus says the same thing when, when he's asked by the Pharisees, what are, what's the greatest commandment when they're trying to trick him? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. But we cannot do the second without the first. We cannot do the second well without doing the first, without loving God. And so I know it may seem strange that we're covering the same passage as we did last week. But I really think that we need to get this right or at least be pursuing this in our lives and, and, and encourage one another in this for us then to live out our identity on God's mission. But I want to focus on our relationship with the Lord. I want us to reflect on that, our own personal relationship with him.
And so often we don't get the space to maybe in the week to spend time reflecting on what's been preached the previous week. And I'm really grateful for what Kenny brought out. And I want to spend a bit more time giving us the opportunity to reflect on some of the stuff that he said and some other things as well. But Kenny showed us that the commandments were given by God to show us that God loves us. They're a loving thing. His rules are, uh, are his love for us to help us prosper in this life. And they start with loving him. It all starts with loving him. And if we understand the person who makes the rules, then we'll understand the purpose of the rules. And so tonight, my purpose is purely this. I want us to remember why we love God. Just in this passage, we're going to see a couple of things of why we are to love God. And then out of that is how we can then show our love for him and fan into flame our love for him as well. And so that's my design. And and in September, my desire as well is that I want to spend I want us to spend a lot of time looking at this as a church, pursuing our first love and not forgetting that Jesus is what it's all about. And I confess at times that I can not necessarily forget that, but I can not go to the source. I can not go to the fuel that is going to ignite my passion to be on his mission. The call that we clearly have in scripture. But I want to pursue him because of him. I don't want to pursue him because of the benefits or the blessings or that's one thing, but I want to pursue him purely because of, of, of him and who he is. And there are many blessings in doing that. There are, but, but we love him for who he is. And, and, and we're just going to have um, a look at a couple of things tonight and have some reflection time, if that's okay. So firstly, if you don't mind moving on, Ben. Um, firstly, we love God because of his astounding grace and blessing. And, and Kenny talked about this um, last week where he said the first 18 chapters of Exodus are all about Israel and how they were delivered by God, that it was purely him that did it. It was so obvious. And it's recorded in 18 chapters for them to look back on and see, hey, look what I've done for you. They were in slavery. It says in verse four, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on an eagle's wings and brought you to myself. And and. It's the same for us. We are the new Israel, the church as Christians. We are the new Israel. We have been bought out on eagles wings and brought to God. Our in slavery was to is, was to our sin. Same as Egypt's. But um, the picture is of them being enslaved to Egypt. We are enslaved to Egypt. We're enslaved to our sin. And we've been picked up and delivered from that, from darkness to light. And we hear it regularly. We know it and we know it's true and it is the gospel. And so we don't want to get sick and tired of hearing it. It's true. But can you remember that time when you came to the Lord and and specifically what you felt you knew the sin that you were delivered from? Because I can take it for granted. I can take it for granted daily and and I don't reflect back enough on that time when I remember that he hand plucked me and picked me up and delivered me out of the sin that I was in that was destroying me and leading me to death and while me and Nikki were away we visited a church it was just a small church in the town that near where we were staying just 12 people we brought down the average age to about 82 and the people that were were the person that was leading it was um he was a, a younger guy probably about I say younger guy about my age um and um, he worked full-time and for 12 months, he'd been um, trying to just ensure that this gathering can take place, that he wants to meet with these people that are isolated in this town and just wanted to keep them being able to be in contact with one another. 
And so he spent every night going to this warehouse that they that they rented and did it up himself every night and took holiday off work to go and make this building so they when they came out of COVID, they were able to meet. And he stood up and it was lovely. And he just stood up. It was so refreshing. He just stood there and said, um, and talked about the grace of God that he personally had been shown, that he had been saved from a life of alcohol addiction, porn addiction, and how his life had been transformed when he met with God. How he remembers being plucked and, and picked out and delivered by God and the freedom that he now has because of that. And he was passionate. He was excited. And at the end of the gathering, he came straight up to me and carried on telling me about what had happened and how the Lord had saved him about five or ten years earlier. I mean, it was passionate. He remembered. He always looked back because he was so joyful of what had happened to him. And so we're going to take three minutes, maybe four, we'll see, um, three or four minutes now. And I just want you to jot down, what did the Lord save you from? What situation did he save you from? And then to spend a few moments praising him for what he's delivered you from and to. So we'll give us three minutes. Let's go.
Father God, we praise you and thank you for what you have delivered us from. And Lord, we know that we're not perfect now. And we struggle probably and maybe even still with some of the same things that you have saved us from. And we know that you saved us from. And yet you have delivered us from them and continue to do so. We praise you for your goodness to us. Amen. So we, we do love God because of the blessings he's given us. We love him because of the grace that he has shown us. That's who he is. He's a God that blesses us and shows us grace, gives us gifts that we don't deserve. But how do we then show our love for him? And Kenny talked about this um, last week that we show our love for him. If you don't click, if you click on Ben, please, is through we show our love for God through our obedience. Just go back one, Ben, please. Uh, we show our love for God through obedience. And Israel's response to hearing God um, um, Israel's response when Moses comes down and says what God has said is to say, we will do everything the Lord has said. We know he's delivered us. We know what he's done for us. And so, yes, we will obey you. And and of course, we know that that doesn't last very long. Um, and it's no different than us. We don't last very long. Uh, we, we sin and we, we disobey him. Yet the call is to obedience. The call is to obedience, but but this is not earn my love by your obedience. This is not you must be obedient and then I'll love you and then I'll deliver you. But no, this is I've delivered you. I've shown you that I love you. I've delivered you from what you were in. Now obey me because this is where you experience my blessing to the fullest. It's through our obedience that we experience God's blessing to the fullest. And I think that's wonderful. It's not earning God's love, but it's learning to live in God's love. And I confess I struggle with that because often I am I feel like I need to do good things and then I feel I deserve God's love. And I struggle sometimes just to accept the grace that he has delivered me and he wants me to love him and he wants me to be obedient to him out of my love for him. And sometimes I do it out of thinking, I should do this because I deserve it. I can do this because I can earn God's love. And I can do it when I say, I feel I love, I deserve your love because I've read the Bible every day for the last week. So I think I do deserve your love, God. But no, we get the blessing first. We're giving it up front. And this, we get the blessings up front. It's amazing, amazing. But our obedience to God shows our love to God. Our obedience to God shows our love to God. And it says it in John's Gospel, chapter 13, where it says, um, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And so our, our obedience grows out of the fruit of love. Our obedience grows out, um, our obedience grows, sorry, I'll say that again. O- obedience grows as the fruit out of the root of love. So cross out what you said before. <laughs> obedience grows as the fruit out of the root of love. Love is the root. 
We don't obey in order to muster up love for God. We already love and that's why we obey. We already love and that's why we obey. Now, I remember I, I used to run lots of um, training at my old school uh, for, for staff. And one of the things that I did was um, a behavior management training session. I used to run it um, every term. And what I'd do is I'd film a dozen students, the naughtiest students in school, and I'd ask them this question. What do you like about your favorite teachers? Or I'd say, why do you behave for certain teachers and not others? And I'd have the staff in a room and I'd do a bit of a family fortunes kind of thing, get a couple of staff up and they would have to say what they thought the top five answers were. And then I'd show the videos and they'd get a if they were wrong or a ping if they got it right. But it was interesting that the students would say, and these were these are like proper hard knock students. I'm not talking like absolute bonkers children. And they would say this. They wouldn't say the name of the teacher or they did and I'd edit it out, but they would say, the ones that mark my work, the ones that give up their time when I need help, the one that I know actually really cares for me, um, the one, um, what else did they say? And a few other things, but mainly those things about the teacher caring for them and showing they care for them. And it was encouraging for NQTs because they would have a nightmare for the first year where the children, they'd plan all the lessons, do all the right things, and the kids would be nightmare for them. But when they consistently did this and kept doing it and showing the kids that they cared, the students and some really tough students would be sitting in their lessons, good as gold, when round school they were bonkers. And it's because their obedience came from the root of love for their teacher. Their obedience came because... They really cared for their teacher and knew the teacher cared for them. You see, we cannot obey the rule giver unless we love the rule giver. We can't obey him unless we love him. And so we need to make sure we put the horse in front of the cart. We need to love God first for us to be able to obey his rules and love obeying his rules. So... We love God because of his abundant grace and his blessing and the outworking of that is our obedience to him out of our love for him. But we love God also, Ben, if you move on, please. Number two, we, we love God because of his unique holiness. And we see that in this passage that chapter nine is all about God's holiness. And then it moves on to the commands. It's all after the root of his holiness. And so God, um, God wants to speak to Israel directly. That's what's happening here. God's brought them to the at Mount Sinai and he wants to, he's been speaking just to Moses, but he now wants to speak to the whole of Israel. But he can't do it like he has, he, he, but, he, but he just can't come out and speak to them because he has to come down in verse nine in a dense cloud. And he says this, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. His holiness is so awesome so amazing that he has to mask it from the people. In verse 12, he asked Moses and the leaders to put a, a limit around the mountain so that people don't touch the mountain because otherwise that will be contacting, making him impure and he can't have that. That would destroy the person or the people that do that. They have to be put to death. 
And then in verse 16, thunder, lightning, a thick cloud, and a loud trumpet noise as he comes down to speak to them. And then in verse 18, he descends as fire, just as he had done to Moses in the burning bush, this unquenchable fire that has no fuel source. And so we are to love God for this holiness, this picture of holiness that we get of him. And it's kind of a bit weird. Why do we love God for his holiness? Just because he's perfect and good. Well, you know, God's holiness is really rich. It's the creative force behind the whole universe. It's the power to make life. His holiness is the thing that makes life. It makes him unique. And we, we think of the metaphor of the sun. And I found this really helpful when I was trying to get my head around this. The, the sun is unique and really powerful. It's the source of all life on the planet. And you could say that therefore it's holy then. And the whole area around the sun is also holy. And the closer you get to the sun, the more powerful it is and the more dangerous it is. And if you were to try and touch anything, get close to the sun and touch it, you would be destroyed straight away. And it's the same for God. If you get too close to God, you'd be destroyed. Not because he's bad, but because he's so, so good. And it's that holy God that has come and revealed himself to us in Jesus, hasn't he? And so no sinful man can come into the presence of a loving God. That's what this whole next section of Exodus is about, is it's how can we dwell in the land? How can we dwell with God? Well, God has to be in a temple. He has to be behind um, a veil. He cannot, uh, only a priest can go in once a year into the Holy of Holies. It's it's that serious. And when when Isaiah had a vision of God's holiness, what does he say? He says, woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. God's holiness is something that we need to take seriously. That's what the whole book of Exodus shows us. But the beautiful picture for us is that as Jesus has come down the mount, Jesus has come down and descended to us. He's not veiled from us. He is holiness incarnate. And he came down and went and touched the diseased. He went and touched the impure. He went and had his feet washed by the hair of prostitutes. And instead of him becoming impure, he made everything perfect and pure. And he's done the same for us. Because of his holiness, it has been transferred to us. And we are now holy in God's eyes. We can commune with him now. And I don't know about you. That makes me want to love God more. And I realise that he's, he's come down and made me holy too. This God that no one could touch or go anywhere near has now come down and he's now in us. But for me, sometimes I just don't have the, I, I don't have a high enough regard for God's holiness. It's not something I think about every morning when I wake up first thing in the morning. It, it, I can sometimes go between either being so in awe of God and his holiness that I just don't want to go there because I know I'm so dirty, so I don't even bother going to him. Or I can, on the flip side, just think, I've been pretty good this week. I'm okay. I don't even think about it. But I think what we see here is that we've got to take God's holiness seriously and we can love him for it because he's so good and so wonderful. And yet there is a response that we have to his holiness that we see in this passage as well. We show our love for God by consecrating ourselves. If you don't mind moving it on, Ben, please. We we show our love for God by consecrating ourselves. And so God tells Moses to tell the people that you tell them to conse- consecrate themselves today and tomorrow. So for three days, they had to consecrate themselves, wash their clothes in verse 10, put a limit around the mountain. 
Don't touch the mountain because otherwise they will be killed. Abstain from sexual relations. Preparing themselves. They had to prepare themselves to come into the presence of God. And that presence of God was still masked. It wasn't his full, full holiness or full glory. And so what I'm trying to say here is we need to take God's holiness seriously, but we need to take our own holiness seriously as well. We need to think about consecrating ourselves, setting ourselves apart for him. Jerry Bridges says this in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness. He says, no one can attain any degree of holiness without God working in his life. But just as surely no one will attain it without effort on his own part. Just as surely no one will attain it without effort on his own part. And so what this means is that those mini victories that we have over sin, when we when we choose holiness over looking at that dodgy website or holiness over watching that 18 rating film or holiness over gossiping or holiness over um, shouting at our children. They are us taking God's holiness and our holiness seriously, waking up in the morning and and committing our day to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm yours. I'm set apart for you. Help me be holy today. Help me live in obedience to you. It means consecrating ourselves and setting ourselves apart and then daily coming to him and asking for forgiveness. It's approaching his throne of grace that we are boldly able to do now because the veil has been torn. We are able to get into the presence of God. We're able to be in the presence of God and ask and seek for forgiveness and receive it because of Christ. And maybe something else is how much do we prepare ourselves before we come to our MCs before we come to read the word um, each day, before we come together to worship him on a Sunday? How much time do we spend preparing our hearts and readying ourselves to come into the presence of a holy God? I confess, if you're like me, not enough. Not enough for me. I don't. And yet we show our love for him by setting ourselves apart for him. But also we see the end of chapter 20, we see we show our love for God by also by fearing him and by having a right idea of what it means to fear him. In chapter 20, the end of chapter 20, verses 18 to 21, it says this, when the people saw thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that you fear, so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. And they didn't even want God to speak. When God did speak to them, they were like, oh, we don't want him to speak to us. Um, and I don't know if that, is that the same for you? Sometimes do you feel in awe and think, oh, God, I can't have you speak to me because you are just, man, I feel so inadequate. Or do you maybe not fear God in any shape or form? Take it for granted that we're to fear him. And and sometimes this understanding of what fear really means, what does it mean to fear God? Well, we know it's the start of all wisdom, but but fearing God is having fear and reverence for him. It's a combination of admiration, but also a caution. It's deep respect and love coupled together it's it's honoring god and respecting him it's it's the way a child should love his father it's enjoying personal love and fellowship but also a rightful respect of him and sometimes my idea can be one of god being distant 
rather than God being close. And sometimes it can be, God, you're not this. I, I don't need to fear you. And I don't get it right. I don't get the balance right. But there's this fear. There's this right fear. And it's and true worship, just like wisdom, starts with the fear of the Lord. It's a worship him with admiration and in awe and respect him for who he is and what he's done. Well, we're going to spend five minutes now just to put some questions on for you. And five or ten minutes, I mean, write these down because you'll probably need to spend a bit longer than we've got tonight. Um, and then we're going to um, just going to finish off very quickly and then we're going to spend some time in some worship. Um, but I would like us to look at these questions. Um, and first one is how often, Ben, do you mind putting them up? I know the music will probably come on, but it's, it's okay. Um, how, how often do I take time to revel in the God's holiness? How often do I take time to revel in God's holiness? Do I have the right understanding of the fear of the Lord, one of admiration, caution, love and respect? And then some questions from the pursuit of holiness. It says, is there evidence of practical holiness in my life? When I've said yes, not yet. When I've said yes to holiness over sin. Do I desire and strive after holiness in my life? And do I grieve over the lack of it and earnestly seek the help of God to be holy? So we have some music on in the background. I don't think we've got Brian Adams' Pan Pipes' greatest hits, um, but uh, we've, we'll have some music on in the background um, for us as we just spend a few minutes doing that.
if you have not had, obviously it's not been as long as um, I would have liked, but if you have time this week to revisit those those questions, I think it would be um, important for us to, to do that and reflect on them. And I, I kind of, I want to invite us on the journey of, of pursuing God, maybe in a great place where your love for the Lord is, is wonderful and you're fanning it into flame. And that's absolutely brilliant. And we just continue, let's pursue him more. But maybe our um, maybe our love for him is growing dim at times, and we need to fan it into flame. And we really want to pursue. Um, and so, my desire is that we would be pursuing God as a church with all our zeal and gusto. That that would be our main aim, and our main desire above all else, above everything else. That remembering that we love Him because of what He's done for us. That He's delivered us out of of, of um, darkness. That He's taken us up on eagles' wings and brought us to Himself, so that we would obey Him. And enjoy the blessing that comes with being, uh, with loving Him and knowing Him, living our lives um, as holy and set apart. That we would take that seriously, take His holiness serious, and take our own holiness seriously, and that we would have that right fear of Him, one of awe and admiration, respect and love. And just to finish with some words from Toza Ben, I don't know if they're, they should be on the last slide. If not, I might have forgotten to put them on there, but. Um, Tozer in his book, um, The Pursuit of God, which is a really wonderful book for two reasons. It's absolutely brilliant. And secondly, it's quite short. So I encourage you to, to read it if you haven't. But it says this. It says, for, it's not, for it is not mere words that nourish the soul, but God himself. And unless and until the hearers find God in personal experience, they are not the better for having heard the truth. The Bible is not an end in itself, but a means to bring men to an intimate and satisfying knowledge of God, that they may enter into him, that they may delight in his presence. They may taste and know the inner sweetness of the very God himself in the core and center of their hearts. We can only pursue God because he has put that urge in us. But the outworking of that impulse is our following hard after him. And all the time we are pursuing him, we are already in his hand. So if COVID part two strikes or a season of busyness comes your way or trouble in any shape or form, I pray that we would continue to pursue him with all gusto and with all zeal, that we would um, enjoy him for who he is, that we would commune with him. And that's my prayer for us each individually and as a church corporately. We're going to finish there, but well, we're going to finish that time there. But I want to finish with a couple of songs of worship. I think it's the right place to finish. We're just going to have a couple of songs. 